0: Seven, if you do not have a Bible, if you could look off of somebody else's Bible beside you, if you see somebody without a Bible, offer to share yours with them. Share a breath mint too if you need to. Um, We had somebody ask this morning if this was Jim and Corey's final Sunday. It is not. It is not their final Sunday. Um, We wanted to take up an offering to send out with them on their final Sunday, which is February 26th, so not this Sunday, not next Sunday, the Sunday after that. So we have two more Sundays after this Sunday until their final Sunday, and uh, next Sunday is the official transition, I guess, of the church. Jim is goading me on from the front row, <laughs> so he's, he's saying, what happens next Sunday? I, I don't know, Jim, what happens next Sunday? And uh, so next Sunday is uh, the official transition of the church where we, I guess, pass the batons and... Um, and then uh, after that, the 26th, we get to send Jim and Corey out, and uh, hopefully bless them um, with your generosity. So we're looking forward to that. Turn the Bible to in your Bibles to Genesis 37. It is a lengthy passage. Please follow along with me as I read the Word of the Lord. This is God's Word. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. And could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph. Had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers. They hated him even more. He said to them. Hear this dream that I dreamed. Behold we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold your sheaves gathered around it. And bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him. Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, the stars, 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow down ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said, here I am. So he said to him, go now, see if it's well with your brothers with the flock and bring me word. So he went from him to the, from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, cast him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. That he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and cast him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on the way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let not our hand be upon him, for he's our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up. And lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not on the pit, he tore his clothes, returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it's your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, "It's my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces." Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth in his loins and mourned for his son's son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted, and said, "No." I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that in your word you don't gloss over life. You don't gloss over difficulties, trials, circumstances, and sin. You speak to us, Lord, in the realities of life. You speak to us through horrendous circumstances. You speak to us through human sin. And Lord, thank you that we can see in your word that you are sovereign over it all. Father, I pray that you would help us see you this morning through this account of Joseph's life. May we behold you, God. May we we trust in you more. May we look to you in faith, Lord. Would you create hope in our hearts for those who are lacking hope and lacking faith this morning? Lord, for those struggling with doubt, with unbelief, with, with sin, with looming circumstances. Lord, may we see you as greater than it all. May we see your sovereignty at work. Lord, I pray that you'd bless the preaching of your word. Lord, would you bless all those who hear in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have to admit, I have a, a weakness for a good story with a twist at the end. I like stories with surprise endings where there's unexpected turn of events towards the end of the story where it all kind of just falls together and you're you're waiting in suspense the entire time until the end and then, oh, it makes a lot of sense. I I love suspenseful stories, wondering what will happen next, and then I'm gladly surprised at the end when it all explains things neatly. It wraps everything up in a way I can understand, in a way that makes sense to me. and, And I can't stand, I don't know about you, but I can't stand movies where there's no closure. I hate it. I hate it when something ends and it's like, no, it doesn't wrap up. I, I like something when there's closure. I like, I like to understand things, and I I'd and like to understand how it makes sense together. I, I don't like it when you're, when, you, when you're left hanging. I feel ripped off. and It's not like that with our lives, is it? We don't always have closure, do we? We don't always understand things. We don't always see things perfectly. We don't always see how it's all going to fit together. We don't always see that, oh, this is how the plot twist makes sense. Oh, this is how, oh, I was in suspense most of my life, but oh, this, this makes a lot of sense. And, and unfortunately, as we go through our daily lives, as we encounter difficulties, we encounter sin, consequences, other people's sin, we rarely, if ever, get a glimpse into what's really going on. We rarely are able to see behind the scenes that, how God is at work, and how God is using all of those things. You know, in our life, I don't know about you, but I I rarely long for unexpected twists in my life. I don't want to be sitting on the edge of my seat in suspense in my life. I like it in movies. I like it in books. I don't like it in real life. It's no fun when you're living through it. It's fun to watch somebody else live through it, and that's cool and exciting. But when you're actually there, it's neither cool nor exciting. We have the privilege of reading the Joseph account as if it were a movie. It's a true story. He lived through it. But we have the privilege. It's a grand account and it it reads so beautifully. There's there's so many ups and downs. There's so many twists and turns. It It has intrigue. It has betrayal. It has all the components of a wonderfully crafted, magnificent story. But this isn't a story. This is somebody's life. This is... This is Joseph's real life that he lived through. This is a real person living through real time. And he didn't have the foresight of, oh, I know what the plot twist is going to be that's going to explain it all and make sense of everything. Like us, we, we rarely understand it all from the very beginning. We rarely get to see how it's all going to play out. And If you were living through this, you wouldn't know what was going to happen next. As Joseph was living through this, he, he lived through the sin of his father, the sin of his brothers, his own sin. He, he dealt with hurt, betrayal, trials. He dealt with slavery. Later on in future chapters, we to find he, he lived through lots of other ups and downs. He becomes a slave in Potiphar's house. He works hard for many years to work his way up. Finally, he's in a place where he's got some prestige, he might even have some, he's got responsibility, people like him, and then he's wrongly accused. After that, he goes to jail, and then he's in jail not understanding what's going on. He's faithful again in jail, and he's trying hard, he's trying to honor God, he's trying to please God in jail. And so God honors him, and he raises him up in jail, and he he's helps out with the jail, and And then he gets to know some some prisoners and he he interprets dreams for them and he's hoping, he says, hey, tell Pharaoh about me when you go to him and they forget about him and they leave him languishing in jail for a few more years. If you were Joseph living through this life that we see that it's really a great story, it wouldn't be a great story to live through, would it? Sometimes in our lives, it doesn't feel like a great story to live through, yet God is crafting a grand story in each and every one of our lives. If you've been called according to God's purposes, he's, he's crafting a magnificent story that you may not see as you're living through it. But if God's called you, then he's going to enable you to endure. He's going to enable you to endure even through sin and circumstance. Circumstance that's what we see in the life of joseph isn't it? he he endures through sin and circumstance and how is he able to endure he's able to endure because god has chosen him he's able to endure because god has chosen him we don't have to wonder about the outcome of these verses and see there's a we have a key here we have we have the plot twist we we have the grand reveal already in this story um, look down in your Bibles. And if, you would, if you would flip over just for a minute with me. Bear with me. Flip over to the end of Genesis chapter 50. Flip over in your Bibles with me to the end of Genesis chapter 50. We can't read through the remaining 13 chapters of Genesis together this morning, and I'm not going to do that to you. Maybe someday we'll read through that, that big a passage, but not this morning. Genesis 50 verse 20. This is Joseph's own commentary on this account, this chapter. Chapter 37, the commentary on chapter 37 is Genesis 50, verse 20. It's Joseph's own commentary on this account. It explains everything. It makes sense of what would otherwise seem like human sin and circumstance. See, Joseph, he's speaking to his brothers now who had betrayed him and they sold him into slavery. And he says, Genesis 50, verse 20. Look down in the Bibles with me. As for you... You meant evil against me. But God. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Until that point in his life, we we don't know that he had the clarity of seeing how God was at work most of the times in our life, we can only see in hindsight how God's been at work. Looking back, reflecting back on how God's used sin and circumstance. But this, this passage in Genesis 50, verse 20, it helps explain our text, and it puts everything in a different light, doesn't it? What seemed like just human sin and consequences ruling the day. Because if you were living through it, it would have felt like sin was ruling if you're Joseph, you would have felt like sin's ruling, consequences. It, it, God, where's God? You would have asked, you would have wondered, where is God? But in fact, we can see that what's really ruling today is, is God's sovereignty on display. Not in, a, not in a spectacular way. You see, there's no, there's no angels appearing here in these verses. There's no divine appearances. Beyond the dreams, there's no divine appearances. There's no, no visitation. There's, there's no what seems like a supernatural interference. These are just normal, everyday circumstances of jealousy, hatred, sin, betrayal, slave traders. And yet God is divinely orchestrating them all. And the main idea of, of, that comes out of this chapter, and there's, there's no overheads this morning. It's, it's not very complex, though. There's the main idea that comes out of this chapter that I believe the main intent that Moses had as he was writing to the people of Israel, and I believe that God has for us this morning. It's just simple. It's this. is that those whom God chooses, those whom God chooses, he will enable to endure those who God chooses he will enable to endure even through sin and circumstance. Those who God chooses, he'll enable to endure even through sin and circumstance. And with Joseph, he wasn't the one who initiated any of this, was he? We see that he's a boy at 17. He didn't initiate this. He didn't didn't ask for these dreams. You see, if he was the one to initiate the call... His confidence would have been shaken. It wouldn't have been enough to carry him through the trials of life. It wouldn't have been enough to carry him through the tests of life if he was the one to initiate the choosing, if he was the one to initiate the call. When he was en route to Egypt, en in, in, in route to slavery, when he was in the midst of his darkest times, he could point back to the one thing, the one thing that mattered most that he could hang his faith on. And The very thing that gave him faith was knowing That God had chosen him. What could he look back to? What could he have faith in? What grounded him? What enabled him to live a faithful life? The rest of his life? Through hardships, through trials, through slavery, through being wrongly accused? Some really cruddy things happened to Joseph. Not many people have had a crummy life like this. But he was able to endure. He was able to have faith because... Because he was aware that God had chosen him god's people endure God's people endure because he chooses them that's a wonderful tr- wonderful truth from scripture this morning that that's it's for each and every one of us is that if God has chosen you, if you 've responded to god's calling if you if you've repented and believed on him, if you've placed your trust in him, you can be sure that he's chosen you in in your dark times of life when when you go through trials, when you encounter your sin or other people's sin, when, when, when you encounter trials, maybe you feel like you're enslaved at times. You can, you can hang your hat on the hope that it's, it's, we can endure because God's chosen me. Not because of my faith, not because of, of my confidence in my own ability. You see, because at some, sometimes in your life, you're not going to have confidence You would even doubt your own faith at times. But you can trust in God. You can trust in His choosing. You can trust in His calling. And that's the first point this morning is that God's people endure because He chooses them. There's just three points we're going to cover this morning. The first one is God's people endure because He chooses them. And what a wonderful truth that is for us. He was an unlikely choice. He was a 17-year-old boy. He doesn't have any remarkable skills that we can see. Nothing stands out specifically about him until this account. The likely choice would have been one of the older brothers. But isn't it just like God to kind of turn things upside down and to choose the person who is most unlikely? And isn't it just like God when he chose us? Each and every one of us was the most unlikely. You may feel like you were deserving, but the reality is, is, Scripture says not many were wise. Not many were noble. That that not many, it, that applies to us. He was an unlikely choice. He, he chose the younger to rule over the older. Then God makes His choice clear. He makes His choice clear through giving the dream twice. And, and it's clear in the meaning of the dreams. The first dream we see, if you look down in verse 7, it's Joseph and his brothers, they're binding sheaves in the field and And his sheaf stood upright and their sheaves gathered around it and bowed to his sheaf. And it was plain from his brother's response that the meaning was clear for this dream. It didn't need any interpretation. They didn't need somebody to tell them what it meant. They got it the first time. It was very clear. They clearly understood the dream meant that he was to reign and to rule over them. And they asked him that rhetorically. What? Are you going to reign over us? Are you going to rule over us? What are you thinking? They understood what it meant. And God gives Jacob a second dream in verse 9. Look, look down there for a moment. It says, He says, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, eleven stars were bowing down to me. How about the wisest move, by the way, after his brothers had just reacted that way to his first dream, for him to go and, Hey, by the way, I had another dream. You're all going to bow down to me. This is great news. You must be excited about this. Not the smartest move, but it was plain from that dream too that Not only was his brothers gonna bow down, but his parents are gonna bow down to him as well. And his his father got that. His dad got it, and he rebuked him. This is Jacob who hasn't rebuked hardly anybody so far in in all the stories of Jacob. He didn't rebuke, he didn't rebuke when he should have with Dinah and how she was violated. He didn't he didn't rebuke Reuben when he should have, when Reuben defiled his concubine. So it obviously this was clear. This was very, very clear. There was an offense here. And Jacob rebuked him. Okay, hold your place in the current chapter. Flip over again. We're going to do a little more flipping this morning. Flip over to chapter 41, Genesis 41. Go over to 41, uh, verse 32. Genesis 41, 32. You see, we have Joseph speaking in this verse after God gave him the meaning of Pharaoh's dream. And he says... In, in Genesis forty one, thirty-two, the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God. And God will shortly bring it about. Okay, you can flip back to thirty-seven now. You see, even though Joseph, even though Joseph may not have known it at the time, his future was fixed by God. And and when God gives dreams in pairs, and you're gonna see later in, in the Joseph story that he does that each time. In, in, in the other two accounts, he gives, he gives dreams in pairs, and that's to communicate that a thing is fixed by God. Joseph's calling was fixed, his calling was sure, and they got it. The brothers would have got that. The father got it because it says he, he stored those things up. Even though he rebuked him, he said, Well, this is probably true. You see, this is the long, slow train. Think of this with a a long, slow train of, of Joseph's life. It was now, by the second dream, it's now firmly fixed on its track. And here's the track it's firmly fixed on. This track his life is fixed on, it's a track where God has ordained and planned for him to be mistreated. God's ordained and planned to use human sin for him to be hated to sold into slavery. He's on a track to be taken to Potiphar's house to faithfully work his way up only to be wrongly accused and put in jail. He's on a track also so that God could position him in the right place at just the right time to interpret dreams accurately, wait a few more years, interpret Pharaoh's dreams and ultimately rescue his brothers and his family and the nation of Israel really Prepare a way ultimately for, for Jesus, the great Redeemer. You see, God ordained all these things. How could Joseph endure through all those difficulties? That that he was set on; it was firmly set in place. How could he? How could he endure through those things? He was aware of God's calling. He's aware of God's choosing, and, and it's really for you and I as well. It's it's only our certainty in God's prior calling. That made us alive and enabled us to respond to Him. That's the only thing that gives us faith in those dark hours when we're doubt even our own faith, when we, when we sin, when we see other people's sins, when life is confusing. Life is real and raw, isn't it? Just like it was real and raw for Joseph. There's no way to see it all coming. Joseph couldn't have scripted any of this, and I bet he wouldn't have scripted any of it. Who would? Not even Shakespeare could have imagined such a wild tale, but but God was at work in the midst of evil. For the rest of Joseph's life, he'd need to remember the dreams that God gave him. He'd need to remember that God was the one who chose him, that God was the one who would one day change his circumstances. And for you, believer, are you aware? God's the one who's called you. God's the one who's chosen you. God's the one who will one day redeem all of your circumstances. Ultimately, through Jesus, he'll bring about the ultimate and final salvation, the ultimate and final redemption. We heard words this morning from Revelation. And one day, God will fulfill completely all of his promises in your life. In the meanwhile, it, it's rocky. It's raw. It's rough. You might feel like Joseph at times, not understanding at all bet Joseph was tempted to think there was no way out of the circumstance. There's no hope for deliverance. I bet, but I bet that his remembrance of his dreams was what sustained him. His remembrance of God's calling was what kept him through the ups and downs. It wasn't his father's choosing. You see, his father was choosing him as a favorite. That didn't help at all. That wasn't what sustained him through the dark times. It wasn't even Joseph's response because Joseph was proud and kind of a braggart and a tattletale. Really, I mean, he's, he's giving a bad report here. It was a remembrance of God's calling. In recent wars, you hear stories of POWs who are sometimes exposed to to propaganda and during their imprisonment they're shown pictures or they're even read stories or played stories or shown doctored film clips that distort reality and they're barraged with so much of the the wrong thinking, this distorted thinking, this, this propaganda that it makes them think that what they believe about themselves is no longer true and that what they believe about their country is all false and sometimes all this mis- misinformation works. And in POWs, they crack and they give up information because they believe the lies they're told. Often, even for those POWs who don't give in, it, it ends up when they come home, they come out of prison, they, they're confused about reality. They're unsure of who to trust and what to believe. and Their life becomes distorted by skewed perceptive perspective of reality in our lives we're constantly barraged by propaganda we're constantly barraged by a false message from from the world around us from the devil really as well we're constantly barraged with the message that says there's no god that god's not sovereign that he doesn't hold all things that he's not working through human sin. He's not working through consequences. That God doesn't work through circumstances. That God doesn't redeem. That's the constant message that we have is there's no God. And that you can't be sure of anything in this life. In our own lives, the world can put a lot of pressure on us to believe an altered view of reality. And this, this altered view of reality, it says that our choices determine Our destiny. And I guess to some extent that's true because it's a palatable lie, isn't it? Yes, it is true that we all have choices to make. We must choose you this day who you will serve. And we have to choose to follow God. We have to choose to say no to sin and say yes to God. But ultimately, that can't be where our hope is. Ultimately and finally, our hope rests in the sovereign call of God. Because if our anchor is in our ability to choose, let me tell you, you're going to doubt And your anchor is going to be pulled up. What's more important than our choice is that God has called us and chosen us. And given us our ability and desire to choose him. And that's where our hope is. John 10, 27. Jesus talks about how ultimately it's God who not only chooses us, but he will give us life. And we can be sure of that. John 10, 27. He says, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. Have you heard his voice you're his sheep my sheep hear my voice and i know them and they follow me if you're following jesus good news he says i give them eternal life and they will never perish what a wonderful hope that is this morning i give them eternal life they will never perish listen to this saints no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Are you bigger than God? The answer is clearly no. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Whose reality are you believing this morning? Are you looking at sin? Are you looking at circumstance? Are you confused about your future? Does your faith ever waver? Mine does. Remember God's calling. Remember that it's fixed. His calling of you is certain. He'll keep you. He'll enable you to endure. When you face dark times, when you suffer, when you can't make sense of it, because life doesn't make sense to us at times. When sin seems too big, when our faith wavers, when we aren't sure of what is true anymore, we can rest in the fact that God's calling is sure. It is true. For following Jesus, we can be sure that he gives us eternal life. We'll never perish, even if we die here on earth. And you may. No one can snatch us from his hand, it says. What a wonderful truth this morning. That should stir your soul to worship and give you joy in the midst of whatever you're going through. You know, at times it feels like our sin or the sin of others might keep us from enduring. It's sin is wearying at times. I'm sure Joseph was tempted to feel that as well. But here's another truth I want you to see in the Scripture this morning. A second truth. Our second point this morning that we're going to see the story of Joseph. And, and the second truth is that God's people endure because, because he's sovereign over sin. God, God's people endure because he, he chooses us. And God's people endure because he's sovereign over sin. We see a lot of sin in these verses, don't we? We see a whole lot of sin. God doesn't cause the sin, but he's sovereign over it anyway. The story of Joseph... You see all the human responsibility in this plane. There is human responsibility involved here. Sovereignty does not mean that humans are not responsible. that there's no consequences for sin. Indeed there is. But what you see is behind it all. God using all of this without even knowing how it's working until Genesis 50, 20. What they intended for evil, God intended for good. There's no mistaking there's are very human, very real causes behind everything that happens here. And humans are to blame. (laughs) You know, at times in our lives, it it might look as if sin is reigning, reigning supreme. And if you didn't have the plot spoiler like Joseph, we didn't know that, no, God's working all things together for our good, even terrible things in our lives. He works together for the good of those who love and are called according to his purposes. You ever feel like that nothing good could come of your own sin? Nothing good could come of the sin of others? How in the world could God use all this nasty stuff around us i'm sure joseph was tempted to feel that way and it's true that humans are responsible for their actions and human sin has consequences at times those consequences are not good and they are painful the scripture doesn't minimize that though it doesn't belittle that he really suffered we suffer at times as well but we have faith in a great high priest who is tempted in every way as we are yet without sin that we can place our faith in him And hope in Him, that He redeems all things. Ultimately, for God's people, we can trust He's superintending all of those even sins and making them work for His purposes. You you see Jacob's sin of favoritism down in these verses. That wasn't good. Scripture's not endorsing that. It was terrible. Jacob should have known better. He already had his own father had played favors with Esau, and it caused him so much hurt. And yet Jacob now is doing the same thing all over again. I mean, you're thinking as you're reading this, what a bonehead, didn't you learn? We're boneheads too. We don't don't learn. It it caused problems in his family. Jacob hated Leah. There was family discord among his sons, and it made matters worse, and he plays favorites with Joseph, and, and his brothers hated him because of it. It didn't make it better. It made it much worse. It made it matters worse when he presents him with this this ornate robe, this, this ornamental robe, what we have translated as a robe of many colors. Whatever it was, it was a flashy robe. And it signified that, that Joseph was the esteemed one. Joseph was the highest honored one. He was one of the special stuff. He was a walking testimony to their, to their father's favoritism of their brother. And every time they saw that boy, it made them angry. You ever feel like that whenever you see somebody? That you're jealous of, and you just you just don't like them, and they just irritate you, and you don't want them to irritate, but they just irritate you because there's there's something going on in your heart. There's jealousy and bitterness and and envy, and, and if you if you don't repent of that and you leave it unchecked, the results are going to be just like in these verses. And some of these verses are primarily about, what we see that. Sin unchecked. We see all kinds of heinous sin gone unchecked. And yet, we have these examples for us as well that learn that, you know what? We need to be careful that these are God's chosen people. These are the 12 tribes of Israel are susceptible to the sins of jealousy, bitterness, envy, resentment, anger, hatred, murder. And I bet we're susceptible to the same things as well. But thanks be to God that he's sovereign over Sin. You know, before we judge Jacob too harshly and we're all prone to the sin of favoritism too. Remember that. It's just a sinful and wrong when we do it. it can have devastating consequences just like it did in the life of Joseph. And there's other sins found in these verses too. There's lots of sin here, isn't there? There's jealousy, the jealousy of the brothers. Joseph brought a bad report. And, and the connotation of that is the, the word used for report is, is a negative thing and, then it, and then, it, then, it, then it heightens and it says it's a bad negative report. So Joseph wasn't innocent in this. He was probably probably speaking ill of his brothers. It might have been accurate or mostly accurate, but he was casting his brothers in a bad light. At least he was being a tattletale. All kinds of things going on in these verses. He's maligning, probably misrepresenting his brothers, casting a bad light. It's enraged his brothers because Jacob already didn't like them. And so now Joseph makes it even worse for them. No wonder they hated him. They began to seethe with hatred and envy and jealousy towards him. They probably felt justified in, in doing that too, you know, because they were right. How dare that boy do that to us? How dare it they were incensed by this injustice because it was unjust. And don't we do that at times as well on our own? We justify our anger. We justify our bitterness. We justify our resentment. We justify hatred to brothers and sisters in Christ. Unless you think you're any better than that, I bet there's at least one person in your life that you've struggled with judging, resenting. We justify our anger, our anger towards a wrong or injustice that seems right and to some degree, we hold on to it personally, we want to make the other person pay. We hate the person for the wrong done to us. We're given this details about Joseph so part of the very human cause for why the other sons didn't like him. And, and yet in the middle of this very human means and very common human sin, God brings about his purposes. God uses this very common sin to bring about his purposes. Jealousy that leads to bitterness and resentment, which leads to hatred and murderous thoughts. But God used all of those things to set him up so that he could be sent to Egypt. Realize if his brothers didn't hate him, they probably wouldn't have thrown him in the pit. If they didn't throw him in the pit, he probably would have been sold into slavery. If he wasn't sold into slavery, he wouldn't have gone to Egypt. God used all those sins, sinlessly, to bring about his purposes. All kinds of stuff here. Favoritism, jealousy. Jealousy left unchecked. It led to bitterness, resentment, anger, hatred, murderous thoughts. That's, that's what jealousy does. You have a one-off opportunity if, if, if you are being convicted of jealousy to, to repent this morning and, and turn to God and say, God, thank you for bringing your conviction, Lord. Enable me to repent so that it doesn't lead me to all manner of, of wrong. But thank you, God, that you redeem. You redeem and work even my sin and the sins of others for your good. We see all, all manner of sin and hatred, bitterness, resentment. It grew so much, they said they couldn't even speak peacefully to him. You ever have anybody like that in your life? You just need to, like, every time you see him, you're like, oh, so you what can you do just to hold it back? Like, I don't like that person very much. And sometimes it's like your own spouse at times. And you're angry and you can't even figure out why. And maybe it's jealousy or bitterness or resentment or anger. It's growing in your life. What a wonderful opportunity to repent. You know, as a teen, you might intellectually love your parents, but you can resent them so much that you speak angrily to them all the time. Parents, when your children speak to you, might harbor bitterness, resentment, over time, ultimately hatred, towards your children to the point that you react to everything they say, and you get angry with them. Maybe you want respect so much that it's become an idol, and you get angry whenever you feel like they disrespect you. Maybe spouses, you... Have you ever gotten to the point when... Every answer you give, you realize it has an edge to it. I know I have. Maybe you feel like everything your spouse says, it just sets you off as irritating. But God's God's speaking to you. God's at work in your heart. He wants to use that for his purposes. He wants to redeem that. He wants to forgive you. If you find yourself in one of those places, beware the evil fruit of bitterness. Resentment may have grown. But here's the hope. For all of us who have been born again, we've been given a new heart. We have the Holy Spirit to convict us, to enable us to respond, and we can ask his forgiveness, receive his cleansing. Repent, live a life of love once more. In the case of Joseph's brothers, though, they didn't repent of their jealousy and hatred grew. Look down, and in verse 8 it says, So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. It wasn't just his dreams. He was saying some things, too, to irritate them. The level of hatred grew and I hated him all the more. And it repeats it three times. Whenever scripture repeats something three times, that's just to show that it's, it's reached a crescendo and it, it's, 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 it's at such a level that it's extreme. They have extreme hatred. We have lessons of hatred here. Probably would wise for him to hold off on telling him second dream, I'm guessing. But he was thick like I was when I was 17. How many of us were thick when we were 17 as well? 17 year olds, you're probably thick and you don't even know it. You're probably, probably a little naive, unaware, self centered, self focused, like most of us are. Like, like most of us can be today, still, by the way. It's not just, you know, not just 17 year olds, it's 40 year olds or 50, 60, 20 year olds, whatever. He probably didn't think about the implications of what he was saying. I don't have a clue. I don't even think about my, how my words affect my family members, my, my parents, my siblings when I was younger. I ended up hurting him for years. Joseph might not have a clue, but he probably should have. He shares his dream. The cumulative effect of all this is his brothers hated him. They couldn't speak peacefully, and they were jealous. This wasn't a good mix. This is not good at all. He's setting himself up for some really bad things. But ultimately, God is sovereign over all of it. He's using his own, jo- Joseph's own sin, his brother's sin, his father's sin. He's working all of this together to get him put in a pit, to sell him into slavery so he could rescue the Israelites from starvation one day. He endured because God's sovereign over sin, because he's aware of God's calling, because God was sovereign over all his sin. That's how he was able to endure God's people endure because he's sovereign over sin. And we need a God who loves us. Don't we need a God who loves us? Don't we need a God who protects us? Don't we need a God who guides us even when we sin? Isn't that what we desperately need? That's the kind of God that we have. That's the kind of God that he is story of Joseph, it tells us that God loves us, he protects us, he, he guides us even when we and all others around us sin. Isn't that good news? We need a God who doesn't leave us when we sin, but uses our sin to change us. And that's just the kind of God that we have. Lastly, the third and final point, and we won't spend much time here, it's that We can see that God is sovereign of all the little details in Joseph's life. And the final point from the text is that God's people endure. God's people endure because he's sovereign over circumstances. Nothing just happens. Nothing just happens in this account. Nothing just happens. It's a play that's divinely orchestrated like in your life. Nothing just happens. You may feel like Everything's out of control. I don't understand it. Is it. How does this all make sense? God's people endure because He's sovereign over circumstances. Nothing just happens. He didn't just happen to be born number 11 out of 12 children, did He? If He was the firstborn, His dreams wouldn't have been a big deal because they would have accepted that He was the rightful heir. So of course they'd all bow down to Him. No big deal. It didn't just happen He was born in that order. It didn't just happen that He was... Hated for being the favorite. It didn't just happen that way. He didn't just happen to not pasture the flocks with his brothers that time when before he had gone out with them. Maybe he didn't go to the times Jacob was concerned about him. There was like a fifty-mile trip. It didn't just happen that they were so far away from his father that he could do nothing about it. His father couldn't rescue or even know about them. It didn't just happen that way. It was been a three or four days journey away. It didn't just happen he was far from home, all on his own, away from protection. It didn't just happen he was away from support, crossing through all these open lands. It didn't happen that he couldn't find his brothers in Shechem. This wasn't random. It didn't happen that he got moved to Dothan, which, by the way, was a major crossroads of trade from the east over towards the sea, and down towards Egypt. It didn't just happen that he was at a major crossroads when he came to his brothers. It didn't just happen that he was wearing his multicolored robe. It didn't just happen that his brothers saw him from afar off. Who could have orchestrated all these things? Only God could have. Only God did. Only God orchestrates things in our lives even when they don't make sense in our lives, your life is not just happening to you. God is at work through sin, through circumstance, to bring about his purposes. If his brothers didn't happen to be separate from him, they might have colluded together against him to kill him when they saw him coming. And it's likely that that separation allowed them to gossip and talk about him when he wasn't there and their, their mutual hatred of him grew. And that's, that's what happens in our own hearts, by the way, and gossip. That's what, that's what gossip calls is talking about people. And it didn't just happen that way for him. If, if Reuben didn't just happen to find out about their plan at the right moment and interrupt and intervene right before they were going to take him, you see, because people were coming and going, this was a very busy time. They had all the flocks there. If Reuben didn't just happen to find out and say, no, you're not going to take his life. If he didn't happen to convince his brothers to throw him in a pit so he could rescue him later, hopefully. Then Jacob I and mean, Joseph would have just been killed. I mean, so easily could he have been killed. At any point in time, so many other outcomes could have occurred. And yet everything is perfectly orchestrated There's a little note that says the cistern was empty. If the cistern didn't happen to be dry, he would have drowned eventually because the cisterns were bottle-shaped. They were like 20 feet deep or so and, and there was no way to get out. If it would have been full of water, he couldn't have tread water for long. If the ground was too hard when he was thrown in, the fall would have killed him. There's so many things that could have gone wrong here. And that's true in our lives as well. That God is orchestrating things but we don't understand them even when we have hard falls at times when we're stripped and we feel naked like joseph was stripped of his robe and thrown into the pit and when bad circumstances happen to us we remember that no god is sovereign in and through circumstances as well we see there's all these divinely orchestrated details the brothers after stripping him of his robes and throwing him into a pit They're pretty callous. They sit down and eat right after they throw them in the pit. And if if these Ishmaelite traders didn't just happen to come by at the right time when they're all gathered together and they colluded to say, you know what, why don't we sell him and make some profit (laughs) instead of having his blood be on us because, you know, blood cries out to God. So we can't let the blood of our brother do that. So why don't we just sell him? He's our flesh and blood after all. How evil that was! If Reuben didn't just happen to be away, because Reuben wasn't there, because he's surprised by this, then he wouldn't have been sold into slavery. Reuben probably would have stopped them. But Reuben was away. Maybe he was had something to do, or maybe he was cult in nature, whatever. Um, if if the work, these circumstances hadn't turned out exactly right. Then God would not have brought about the plans the way we see them. And yet God was working sovereignly through sin, through circumstances, to bring about his choosing, his calling. God allowed suffering. He made sure that Jacob wasn't Joseph wasn't rescued. He made sure that Joseph was sold into slavery. And we have at the end of these verses there's an there's an ancient to be continued. The thing that I don't like very much. I already spoiled it at the end. But there's an ancient... To be continued at the end of the verses, it says... It's a cliffhanger of sorts. It says, meanwhile... The last verse. Look down in your Bible. The last verse of this chapter. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar. An official of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Joseph didn't get sold into slavery as a common field hand. What are the odds of that? Because most slaves did not end up in Pharaoh's household or in officials of Pharaoh's court. The majority of slaves ended up working fields or doing menial tasks. This one ends up, what's the odds that he would end up in the official's house? Somebody who's close to, to Pharaoh. In all of this, Joseph endured because God chose him. God was sovereign over sin, and God was sovereign over circumstances. I'll let the, the band come up for now, and we're going to sing a song in a minute. But in closing, I want to share a story. You remember a guy named Paul Harvey? He used to talk about, that's the rest of the story. I can't, I can't do Paul Harvey very well, but I can't do him at all, actually. But he once told about an incident in World War II where God providentially cared for thousands of Allied prisoners and you know, how one of America's mighty bombers, it took off from the island of Guam and headed for Kokuro, Japan, with a really deadly cargo of bombs. And because clouds had covered the target area, these this, this B-29, it circled for about an hour until its, its fuel supply reached the danger point. And the captain and his crew, they were, they were frustrated. They were angry because they were right over their primary target, the place they are supposed to drop all of their bombs, and they weren't able to fulfill their mission. And finally, they decided they better go for the secondary target they were given because otherwise they wouldn't be able to accomplish a mission at all. And so changing course, they, they went and they found out the sky was, was clear in the other place. And the command was given, they dropped their bombs, and the B-29 headed for its home base. Sometimes later, an an officer received some startling information from military intelligence, and it turns out that just a week before that bombing mission, unbeknownst to that pilot, the Japanese had transferred the largest concentration of captured Americans in the war to the city of Kokura, the place they were going to drop the bombs. And on reading this, the officer exclaims, Thank God for that protecting cloud. If that city hadn't been hidden from the bomber, it would have been destroyed and thousands of American boys would have died. In our lives at times, clouds seem to obscure our way. They seem to frustrate us. Circumstances seem to block our path. We can't figure out why. God is at work. Sin and circumstances may seem to be hindering your way, you can trust that it's not hindering God's purposes. You can trust that it's not hindering God's plans. In the end, you can rest secure knowing that no matter what life throws at you, here's the main point this morning. Those who God chooses, He will enable to endure even through sin and circumstance. Let's let's stand together.